0: because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm talking to Nick Bilton, who I have not talked to in person for, I think, 2016, fall of 2016. Remember that weird... That no, weird no, that's gathering not true. of
2: CEOs. When did I talk to you since? I saw you, oh my God, I can't believe you don't remember. This Sorry. makes me really sad. Uh, I saw you at the Netflix event last- Oh,
1: right. A couple years not ago. Not last
2: year, 2019, right before the
1: world came to an end. That's right. You were explaining to me that you were making in LA and you were doing the Hollywood hustle. And here you are with a movie on HBO. It's called Fake Famous. It's good. You should know, watch it. it. <laughs> it's it's on HBO, not HBO Max, right? HBO. And you both. can on both. On both. You can yeah. see it. You can see it uh now. If you're listening to this podcast, you should go watch it. It has a great premise. Nick tries to take three pretty ordinary, striving Angelinos, people who would like to make it big and in, in Hollywood and says, I'm gonna make you an influencer, and attempts to do so largely by by uh, a semi-illicit means that everyone apparently on Instagram does. Did, am I summarizing it correctly?
2: You are summarizing it correctly, yeah. We, we took um, three people, uh, and I tried to make them fake famous, uh, and I did so by, uh, by buying them fake bots and fake comments and fake likes and doing fake photo shoots. And the three of them started out at around 1,000 uh, followers each, and one of them uh, got to 350,000 fake followers and, and became essentially a famous influencer for want of a better description.
1: Yeah, I want to talk to you about what an influencer is. Uh, I got lots of questions about the documentary, but let's start with this one. Where, where did the idea come from? It's one of those things that once you hear it, go, oh, yeah, of course, that should be a show or movie. This is an hour and a half documentary. Uh, who, who generated the idea?
2: So I have written about, you know, social media for God, 50, 20 years now, 15 years. And, and I remember my beat kind of started to change a little bit in around 2013 when bots were really kind of growing on Twitter specifically was one of the big places they were doing it. Um, and, um, 2011, 2013 was, was when it's really started to move and, over the years, every few years, I would do a story about bots and like where they were. And I, at one point, I actually created my own bot farm. So I I, I bought some software, learned how to use it, uh, created a uh, hundred or so uh, bots, and took about fifty of them and on Twitter and Instagram started liking people's stuff and commenting, and then wrote a story on that. And then when I got to Vanity Fair, Graydon Carter, who was the editor at the time a couple of years ago, said, um, oh, it'd be really fun to do a documentary on influencer culture and like explaining it and everything. And I said, actually, I could make an influencer in, in 10 minutes. And he said, well, that's your documentary. Uh, and that was essentially how it started. And then uh, I teamed up with Annabelle Dunn, who's an amazing producer and a bunch of other people. and And we kind of decided, let's see where this goes. And we had no idea... Truly no idea how it was gonna work out. Uh, so you auditioned, I think you said, what, 4,000 people for this? So we, we, we put out a casting call. Like, we didn't know how we were gonna find the people yeah. we were gonna make into Influences. At first, I was like, should we get someone's sister or brother? And, you know, and then we said, let's, let's just go through the motions and like, do this in a semi-professional way. Uh, so we put out a casting call through a casting agency to one website. We asked one question, do you wanna be famous? We had 5,000 responses. Uh, we narrowed that down to about 250 people. We had one criteria and that was it. And you, it, it was that you could not have a large following online. Um, and we put that in the ad too. And of the 250 people, we got it down to three different people. This guy, Chris, this guy, Wiley, and this woman, Dominique. And then I started buying them fake engagement and we started doing fake photo shoots with them. And, and then it just went from there. So
1: is this, do you think this is more of a commentary on on fame and the nature of fame and what it means to be an influencer, or is it about the fakery behind the whole thing?
2: Well, I don't, I don't think you could separate them, honestly. I think, you know, there was, there were, it's what was interesting to me is there were moments when we were filming this where journalist Nick was like, holy shit, like that happens. And what, if I've been covering this stuff for, Fifteen years, and I'm saying holy shit! And there were a, a lot of moments of, of those. Um, I think that there was realizations that I had, and that we all had, that uh, and you you'll have when you watch the movie that uh, that these things are just all tied in together. So, you know, one moment i one moment of, of those was I remember we were doing research into looking at how many influencers there were, right? And I figure, okay, so I remember looking up, like, how many celebrities are there? Like, real legitimate celebrities. And one website said, like, 4,000 in the world. Um, And then I remember, like, we got access to some report, and we were looking at Instagram uh, influencers. How many were there? 140 million. So how is it that there's four... And that number is—I think you said like there's a hundred million
1: people with with a million Instagram followers, and then another forty with half a million. Was that the was that the
2: stat? So no, it was forty. When we did started the research, and this is over a year ago, there were forty million people that had over a million followers, okay. and hundred and forty million that had over a hundred thousand. I'm sure the number has grown dramatically today. We've added a couple of those people to that list <laughs> uh, with our fake our fake influences that we made, but. So that's the population of Russia. So how are you going to tell me that the population of Russia it can be equal to, to people that are considered famous? And, and so that was to me was a moment where I was like, how does this even make sense? It doesn't make sense. And, uh, and what happens, I think, for all of these people, all of them, and I say this emphatically, every single one of them has some fake followers whether they bought them themselves or the fake followers followed them because they want to blend in. But, and some of them, you know, like the Kim Kardashians of the world have have 80, 90 million fake followers. Um, And as research has shown. And so I think what was so fascinating was to realize that you have, on one half of the story, 87% of kids in America that want to be famous influencers more than anything else. And on the other half of it, You have half of all people who are influencers have, you know, half of all the followers are fake. Um, if not
1: more. And you sketch this out, right? There's a progression from like conventional celebrity in the olden days to sort of reality TV, blowing up this idea that anyone who's reasonably good looking can become famous uh, by, <laughs> by being, I mean, I was blown away when the real world came out. I was like, really, this is happening? Um, and now it, now it's just fully baked in that everyone believes they can do it. And, and as you prove in some ways they can is, oh, I was gonna end up on this, but we will start here. Um, could you argue that, like, look, you can debate the fakeness of some of this, and there's lots of bots here, but it's good that there's lots and lots and lots of famous people. It allows everyone in the world to have different people they're interested in, and it opens up the world. There isn't, you know, a handful of gatekeepers in Los Angeles and New York deciding who's going to be on a TV show or on a movie. We should celebrate this. We shouldn't sort of be skeptical and caustic about this, and if there's some fakery involved, who cares?
2: Okay. So going into this, I might've agreed with you um on that, but there were, there was a moment for me that, that really made me realize the opposite of that. And, and, you know, the first moment was reading the study. There was the study done, as you, as you point out, where over 30, 40 years, they've asked kids, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And 40 years ago, we would have said, uh, journalist or, or, you know, lawyer or doctor or astronaut. Eventually it starts to change and it's basketball player and it's musician. It's, you know, all these things like that. Now it's predominantly in America, specifically, a uh, famous influencer. In China, it's an astronaut for whatever reason, uh, that's different. But in America, most kids want to be famous influencers and. I had this moment where I don't really use social media that much anymore. Um, I didn't even have Instagram on my phone for a couple of years. I re-downloaded it for this film so that I could manage these, these quote unquote influences we were making. And there was, and I was following a lot of influences so we could kind of emulate how they did it and like copy their comments and their likes and their photos and things like that. And there was a moment in the pandemic where I, I, uh, I said to my wife, I was like really depressed. And she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I feel like we don't do anything and our life sucks and this, that, and the other. And we realized it's because I'd been looking at these influencers and in their lives, quote unquote, uh, and how wonderful they were. And I had started to feel like shit, like I was inadequate or like the, the, the world that I lived in just wasn't as good as theirs. And I think that the, at the end of the day, when you look at what influencers do, the entire premise of this is to make you feel like shit. It is to say, I have this, I live this wonderful life, I'm on this amazing vacation and you're not. And the only way you can be as happy as I am is to do that same thing. And But in reality, they're not being honest about the experience. And most of them that we talked to behind the scenes explained that like, the vacation sucks half the time, or they get food yeah, poisoning no, I, or something.
1: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't, I, you know, my my kids are, are YouTube age now, and so they're they're very influenced by by gaming celebrities slash influencers, and you know, I, I worry about them wanting to like. I don't want them publicly broadcast YouTube, not because I'm worried about pederast, because I, I don't want them in the feedback loop looking for likes and subscribes, mm-hmm. at, at mm-hmm. least not this early. Um, on the other hand, I don't know that it's that much dumber than me wanting to be Eddie Murphy when I was 12 watching <laughs> my, lesson, right? Like it'd be fun to be funny yeah. as hell, but also famous. And like, you know, there's, you know, that we had we've had celebrities and heroes forever. Um they, they they move around, you can argue whether or not they, they deserved it. Um uh I don't know that it's that bad, but let's let's talk about what an influencer is.
2: But hold on, let me yeah, just say, ask you a question. On. Yeah. Did Eddie Murphy ever lie about being funny or pretend that he was in a movie he wasn't? No. Or you know what I'm saying? There's there's a duplicitousness that technology not only allows but but suggests. And I think that,
1: um, but I don't think my he, understanding of what Eddie Murphy's life was actually like was particularly well informed back when I was interested in being him. Probably still isn't. Um, and there's always been sort of what you present in public and what goes in what goes on. But I mean, look, you're, it's a great documentary. You should watch it. And, and we will talk about sort of the work they they, they put into this. I want to talk about sort of where where you think a, an influencer kids want to be influencers. But it yeah. strikes me that your documentary doesn't come out and say this, but it seems like influencer, as you're describing it, is kind of a, a, a tier of celebrity that is below. I get that there's the Kim Kardashians of the world the very and, and Mr. Beasts on YouTube, right? But most of them seem to be in this tier of famous to a pretty narrow niche of people. Maybe it's wide, but not deep. And they are people who would like to be professional models, Actors, whatever, and but they're not. But this seems like something that is attainable. And then you, you you're describing the rewards, and they're not. They're not getting enormous amounts of money. In the, the case of your most successful one, she's she's getting additional uh, callbacks. She's not, and and she's getting free products. Which again, if you're totally removed from that world, seems awesome. But, you know, it doesn't, it's not, if you're getting a free skin conditioner sent to you in the mail by someone who wants you to to tweet about it or Instagram about it, it's not life-changing, right? It's fun if you're, if you're, if, and she starts off, she's doing retail somewhere, right? And and yeah. it's a big change in her life, but it's not, she's not a internationally famous person. She's not on a Netflix show, et cetera, so am I, am I getting that, that
2: tier right? The, the, no, you're, you're right. Was that a plug for you to get some free conditioner in the mail? Because we can, um, we can uh, buy you some bots. We can make that happen. Apparently,
1: Mac Weldon <laughs> will still send me some free underwear on occasion. But I, but I, have, to, <laughs> I have to endorse them uh, in an actual ad read. So that's, that's a straight trade. Yeah, that is a straight trade.
2: Look, look, there's definitely tiers. There are, I think that there are some, there's, okay, so what is an influencer, right? That's the big question. An influencer is someone who, quote unquote, influences. So technically, if you have two followers or one follower, you're influencing somebody, right? I think what has happened is it became very quickly over the past few years a label that you could use as like a job title to get free stuff. Uh, and then, and, and then you know, it's funny coming out to Hollywood. Um, you If you were in New York and you're in the media world, you can't just be like, I guess you could if you wanted, but you kind of have to have some proof of it, but you can't just be like, I'm a journalist or an investigative reporter. You've had to to have done something, right? To to like have that, to be able to use that title. Generally, generally. When you come out to Hollywood, you could just be like, I'm a writer, director. Everyone's a producer, right? Everyone's a producer. I'm a producer. You you don't have to have made anything to say that. Uh, You just, that's what you want to tell people you are. Or I'm an actor. You You don't have to have been in a film or a TV show. And I think that influencers kind of took that and ran with it. And anyone who said, like, they had X number of followers could be like, hey, hotel, I want a, a free yeah. room for a weekend. I'm an influencer. I think the predominant number of them do that. Uh, and that's what the goal is, is to get free stuff and hopefully get sponsorships and things like that and get paid. But there are some that I think offer offer something to the world that is beyond that and that really have, they're almost like the Etsy level influencers that are like teaching you how to do something or, or entertaining you or, 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 or something like that. But I think, you know, as with everything that that is a tiny, tiny number. And the larger number is of course, the people trying to take advantage of it. And when you talk about our influencer, yeah, she got a bunch of free stuff, and her life definitely changed. She got more auditions and things like that. But we stopped filming because of COVID. Yep. You know, had we have kept going, I mean, who knows where we could have gone with that?
1: Can we talk about a bit about the mechanics? So the, the main thing you do here is yep. you buy followers for people. I was shocked at how cheap they were. Was it uh, what seventy five bucks for a thousand?
2: Uh, seventy no, a hundred dollars tax included for. Seventy five hundred.
1: Okay, um. you can you can tell that I, I watched this late at night last night. Um,
2: but <laughs> but you, you, you got the numbers right there
1: in the wrong yeah. order. Uh, were were you, were you surprised at sort of how easy it was to do it, and how Instagram did not catch on? And you you spend time talking. You know, you, you show your subjects occasionally being worried that they're they're going to get found out. But it seems like it basically went pretty well. You just took out a credit card and and bought someone some some temporary not fame because they're bots. But at least uh, a perception uh, of fame. Perception of fame.
2: Yeah, I was surprised. You know, I was surprised by two things. One is there are now from when I wrote about this stuff years ago, and I wrote, the last time I had written about bots was really during 2016 when I had written about Donald Trump was going around 2015. Sorry, he was going around touting how many uh, followers he had on on Twitter and. I used some software to look at it and was like, oh, he has half of them are fake bots and, and then looked at Hillary's and the same was true for her. It was, it was not, it was not a, a partisan issue here. Uh, they all buy them, uh, journalists, reporters, uh, sorry, politicians, you name it, everyone, celebrities. And so that was the last time i looked at it. And when I came in 2019 and I started to buy bots, the advancements had been fascinating because... AI had had started to kind of enter this world. And so, you know, there's a, an interesting part of the film where all of the faces that we use in the Instagram accounts that we show uh, um, as we're talking about, like, explaining things, they're not even real faces. They're artificial intelligent mm-hmm. uh, faces. And just in that period of time, that had come about. And so the quality of the bots changes, too. So you can spend 75 bucks on 7,500 bots, and they're okay. They're not bad. You could spend $25 on 7,500 bots, or you could spend $1,000 on 7,500. And those $1,000 ones are indistinguishable from you and me. They look real, they act real, um, and the advancements have been pretty fascinating. And so... On the one hand, I think these companies do so little to stop it because their numbers would go down. Their user numbers would go down. I'm sure if Instagram really, really put any effort behind trying to get rid of bots, they would probably lose 400 million accounts, or give or take. Um, But on the other hand, it's definitely becoming a little bit more challenging for them. And, And was there ever a time
1: where you thought, oh we're really close to having this thing blown up. Um, either yes. Instagram is going to figure it out or somebody else is going to blow this up.
2: There was a couple of times um, I I was experimenting with different platforms, different bot buying platforms, because you get ripped off sometimes. And I actually got ripped off quite a few times. The, f- um, the fake I, bot I, sellers I, are not always trustworthy. And, and, and you, what's so frustrating is like you give them your 200 bucks or whatever, and then they vanish. And it's what's, you're like, well, who am I going to yeah. complain to? Yeah, uh, it's like complaining so that, to the cops that someone sold you oregano instead of weed. Yeah, what what am I going to do? Go to go to the. Uh, There's no better um, business bureau for bots. Yeah, exactly. Go to the LAPD complain. Some kid in Egypt ripped me off. But I I did end up befriending a guy who's was like 17 years old. This kid uh, in Morocco who who walked me through a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff and. I got onto like some secret telegram groups and, and you know started like engaging with the bot makers and, uh, and people who actually run all this stuff from the Ukraine and places. And they make quite a lot of money. I mean, millions and millions of dollars doing this. Um, they call themselves the internet bottom feeders. But as I was experimenting, I started to figure out which ones were better and which ones are worse. But I would experiment on like one of their accounts with like four or five different platforms. And what I realized was you do actually trigger an algorithm, you don't get in trouble, but they make it so your account is almost it's called shadow banning. Mm-hmm. So they you don't know your account's not working, but other people can't necessarily see what you're doing or or follow you and things like that. And so you show a big spike them, in
1: users and like, well, this doesn't seem right. We're gonna we're gonna put you in the
2: penalty box for a while. So you get put in the penalty box and then you get let out. But there was one of them that it happened to and and I kind of I freaked out because I was like, oh my God, we're not gonna be able to do this. And they quickly got out of it. The other thing that was interesting was, and this isn't actually in the film because we only had a certain period of time to tell everything, but with Dominique, I found the service uh, and it was was only around for like a brief couple of weeks and and I used it, where I bought her 80,000 followers for, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something. and they weren't bots, they were people's accounts who had been compromised. And the way that they do this is they they ping you, they say, hey, Peter, uh, your password has been yeah. compromised. Uh, and you log in and then they take over your account, but then they give you your account back. So they're, you're still using it, but they're using your account to like and follow and everything. So she got um, she got like 40,000 real Egyptian followers and they kept like trying to call <laughs> her and ping her. And like, it was pretty funny. So she's famous in Egypt, really famous.
1: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Nick Bilton.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, The Future of Work but can you sort of describe in general, so you see, you round people up, you say, do you want to be famous? You go through an audition period, you, you, you grab the, you find three of them. What, did, so what was sort of your expectation of what they would want out of it? Um, and each one of them has a different story, but did you have a general thesis going in? Like, this is what they want and this is what they're going to get.
2: Look, I think at the end of the day, we, we didn't know what was, we genuinely did not know what was going to happen. Uh, and I had said at one point, to I think I'd said to HBO and to the producer, i said, look, there's two versions of this, or there's three versions of this film, but there's really two versions. There's version one, which is a bunch of talking heads, and we do this experiment for five minutes of the film, and that's it, it doesn't work out. There's version two, which is what we made, which was it worked for the most part, um, it, we, given, the, given the parameters that we were confined to with COVID and so on and so forth. But I didn't anticipate that we would have three different outcomes. And as you said, without giving the film away, they all kind of come to a very different place by the end. And that I didn't anticipate. And I think it actually makes for a better film as a result of it. I think had they all become, you know, quote unquote, famous influencers or their lives had been affected in that way, probably wouldn't have been as impactful as the, the, the way it went went down for them.
1: You do have talking heads in the movie. One of them is Taylor Lorenz, who's been on this show, and and, and she says something on, on your show that she says a lot on social media, which is people, you know, sort of look down at influencers and, they, you know, they're just making videos or just doing photos, but they don't understand how hard this is and how much work you have to do and how, how much burnout there is. And then you guys show, you know, Dominique, who's sort of your main character, like, going through all these photo shoots, and she gets put on this kind of crappy road trip to Las Vegas with other influencers. And it doesn't <laughs> seem fun. I don't want to do it, but I think about a lot of people I know professionally who have jobs that have lots of hustle to them. It's, you know, a lot of ways very salesy or anyone in biz dev or lots of working journalists. Um, It doesn't, again, not something I want to do, but it doesn't seem like it's backbreaking work. I get that like, it could be tiring to have a day of photo shoots. Make me, give me more empathy for sort of the, I, to, to me, the thing that is um, that I have more empathy for is, it's very tenuous what you're doing, that you're doing this work and it's very unclear whether you're gonna get a reward. The rewards are kind of meager. But again, I think of anybody, you know, working at almost any job where there's some degree of hustle and some degree of uh, of, you know, eating what you kill, right?
2: I mean, you're not going to find empathy from me for influencer Culture. I think, you know, you'll definitely find it from Taylor. And she has some great perspectives on it um, and, you know, sees it definitely differently than I do. Um, but I think that when she says in the film, like what a lot of people don't realize, it's a, it's hard work, is my takeaway from that and what I didn't realize and then realized while we did the filming was that when you look at these photos... It just looks like they snapped the photo, they snapped the selfie, yeah. you know uh and in reality, it's like a week's like prep they have they have i mean i've been to to vanity Fair photo shoots where there's less people yeah. than like doing a photo shoot with like some influencers, and I think that the reality is that um what you see is not what's happening behind the scenes, and a and b it's constant you've got to feed the beast and There were some influences we talked to that didn't want to go on camera, but who had been, they had made it, like they really were making money. You know, they had like, they were getting $30,000 post and, you know, just free everything, showing up at their house every day, you know, Dominique times a hundred. And some of them were just like, this life is brutal. Like you just, you have to post every single solitary day and it's exhausting. And is it any more work than, what you and I do for a living, or what other people do when they're working retail and things like that—maybe not. Maybe it's the same, but um I guess the question is: Is the reward worth it?
1: Yeah. Where does all this go? I remember when when Twitter—I started paying attention to Niche. Remember that service that Twitter bought, and that was meant to—it was—it was—it was meant to yeah. uh, uh, be a broker between the influencers and the people who wanted to give them money. And it just seemed like because there are so few gatekeepers, this is what it seemed like back then, and I think it's only more so, there's very few gatekeepers, meaning just about anybody can do this, or anybody who can sort of be remotely photogenic. Uh, there's more platforms, there's more people who wanna do it the more it, there's a glut of supply, it seems like um, there's some. There's obviously yeah. demand, but it seems like this, this world is only gonna get harder for aspiring influencers. They'll have to work that much harder to make money. They'll have that much less leverage because there's thousands of people like you were able to call up in one casting call who are desperate to do this stuff. Does it eventually just sort of become like, it's not even special to be an influencer because there are so many of them and they don't really stand out?
2: I mean, I think that it's going to it's going to depend on the brands and it's going to depend on on the Instagrams of the world. Um, You know, I probably have the most admiration for Snapchat because they have not allowed this to become pervasive on their platform. It's really much more about Evan Spiegel has really put a lot of effort into making it not about virality, but about creation and and quote unquote friends and things like that. and. And I think whereas Instagram has gone in the complete opposite direction and, um, you know, I was telling someone earlier that I, I had downloaded on my phone um, Instagram again when we started this project and I didn't have it on my phone for a couple of years and I created some a fake account to be able to kind of monitor and check out bots and which ones worked and things like that and I lost the password for the fake account and I must get 20 alerts a day from Instagram being like, check out so-and-so's yeah, new post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those scumbags, all they want is an extra daily active user that they can put on their roster for more advertising. And I can't turn it off. And so when I finally delete Instagram again in a month or so when the film is out and done, I, I can't wait. But, but the algorithm is diabolical, in my opinion. It is just totally diabolical that they are pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to engage It's not in the best interest of you. It's in the best interest of them. And so I actually personally feel, and maybe this is totally me just daydreaming and and hoping that society is better than it really is. But I I do think that people are going to get fed up. I you, just don't think it's going to last forever.
1: You mentioned this. You're, it's funny, by the way, because you're like, "I don't, I don't want to do this social media." Then you make a doc, <laughs> you make a documentary about that on HBO, in which yeah, you're, but you're, I mean, in which you're on screen more than anybody else. You're the talking head. You're, you're, you're on screen. It's great. It's great. But that, that, that's how you do it. That's how you you make your movie about fame, and that way you can be both famous and dismissive We were going we we
2: to use. We were going to use the original plan was actually to use an influencer who would quit and was no longer into it as the talking head, but because of COVID, I ended up taking on the job.
1: So I I do remember that you were on Twitter for a while and then people, you would sort of like, I think unintentionally say something that provoked people and they'd all gang up and and beat up on you and you basically quit. Um, Yeah. What what did you think sort of getting back into the world of social media after sort of more or less dipping out of it for several years?
2: I just think I, I have become so disillusioned with it. I think, you know, he, um, Kevin Kelly has this great line that he always says, where he says that technology makes society 51% better and 49% worse. And because of that, technology makes society better. And I think for social media, that was true for a long time. Black Lives Matter, B2 movement, Iranian revolution. But now I think it's flipped. And I think social media makes society 51% worse, maybe, and 49% better. And I think when, when something gets to that point, it's time to reevaluate. What
1: about the Mark Zuckerberg argument that, like, hey, you know, George Floyd's killing, that was, that was broadcast on social media. It was broad, I think it was broadcast on Instagram. You don't, need social,
2: you don't need social media to broadcast George Floyd's killing. You could use iMessages. You, you could use you could it, it, you could but yeah. it wouldn't take off in
1: the same way there's that you it doesn't have that That's not hub true. it's i i messaging is not built for virality right look
2: at whatsapp and the, and the, and, the, and the and the in india and other places when when messages go viral on whatsapp and i think that i i personally think that the problem with social media is it is all in public and as a result, everything is a performance. And so when I would tweet something that was meant to be commentary or a conversation and someone says, oh, there's an opportunity for me to like show off here and like pick a fight and win and other people compile on. Like, it's just a performance. That's all it is, all of it. And I think that it's only gotten worse and worse and worse over time. And I think that we're at the point where the either the companies are going to have to fix it, or the people stop using it. I am going. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm going to gently one. poke at you for going on a podcast to okay. talk to me about your documentary that you're the star of, complaining about being in public.
2: No, it's not. No, I'm not saying that. You and I can have a conversation, mm-hmm. right? And it's and it's. I, I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying that it's complaining about being in public. I'm saying that it's not that. Social media is no longer a conversation. I truly do not believe it is a conversation. It is. I mean, look at Ted Cruz and AOC on Twitter. Do you think they're having a conversation? They're performing. Yeah. That's it. It's all it has become. And that is why I don't use social media anymore. I don't like. I don't want to engage with people that call me names. I don't want to have to like worry that like anything I post could be construed in the wrong way. And I think that. It just, I don't, there's a reason that everyone turned off comments on their news websites, right? Like, I think that, I think that the system doesn't work for the number of people that are on them today. Look at Facebook's own research around algorithms and hate speech and this, that, and the other. And I think that, that the platforms have a responsibility to fix it. Uh, one
1: last question for you. you. You literally wrote the book on Twitter, Hatching Twitter. You spent a long time sort of in and outside of Twitter, um, in and around Jack Dorsey. What's your sense of sort of how he is or, and isn't facing up to, to Twitter 2016 through 2020,
2: 21? Nice, nice last question there. Uh, I am honestly amazed at, uh, I remember talking to Jack Dorsey and Bistone in 2006, right when the platform came out. I was not a reporter then, I was working in the research labs at the New York Times and we got on the phone with them to find out what this thing was. They couldn't really explain it back then. And then I remember writing the book about it. And when you think about the fact that like these 10 people were in a room and created this thing, and really it was just so they could talk to each other when they were out club is at night. I mean, that was the premise of and it. It was a the side beginning. project from their podcasting company. Total side project, for, ironically, a podcasting company. Uh, um, it, you know, and it became two weeks, three weeks ago, like the deciding factor of whether, you know, uh, of American democracy is <laughs> just, a, it's mind-boggling, honestly. It's so surreal to to see that happen in the way that it did so quickly. and And I think, you know, I, I'll give Jack credit for being a little more gutsy in, in recent years to actually make decisions. Where I don't think he deserves credit is how long it took him to get there. I think that, you know, um, there was someone I spoke to at Twitter last year when I was doing the story when Trump was really getting out of hand, like as the election was heating up. Um, and they had, and it before they had started marking his tweets as, um, yeah. uh, you know whether they were quote-unquote false or whatever. <laughs> Crazy unhinged bullshit from the leader of the free world. Yeah, and I had said, and they, had, they were frustrated, and they had said, you know, we have, a, we have a whole system for our ad platform and rules around it. We have a whole system for, for doxing people and rules around it, but we have no system in place for how to deal with the president of the United States. And eventually they, they got to that, but four years too late. And I wonder, I really do wonder what would have happened if Jack would have kind of stepped up four years ago and put in some of these rules and regulations and tried to to mark what was what was a lie and what wasn't and and put in the effort at least to to do that rather than just wait. There's nothing wrong with people getting things wrong and people being corrected. The New York Times open it up on page two of the paper every day. There's like 70 corrections. You know, it's this is that's, it happens. Do you think he wants this job at this scale, this level of
1: responsibility? As you demonst- as you said, it's, it was a side project. It was something he got pushed out of. He came back. I mean, there's a lot of youngish men in Silicon Valley who want to be Steve Jobs. He was one of them. But it's another thing to sort of have this job and this level of responsibility. Do you think he he wants it or he would like to find a way to like hand it off some? I mean, he in that tweet uh, Stormy had about, you know, kicking Trump off, he's like, I just kind of wish the blockchain could solve this for us and we wouldn't have to make these calls.
2: I think that um, I can't tell you what's going on inside Jack's head. I can only tell you the Jack I knew when I was reporting on him a lot and and spending time with him for, for the book and so on. And I think that there's a part of him that loves the attention he gets from it, and he loves being the CEO of Twitter, and he hangs out with lots of very, very true famous celebrities all the time. And he lives a pretty grand life for the world that he the life he wants to live. Um and I think that that there's probably a huge part of him that doesn't enjoy having to make these decisions. And as a result, if you actually talk to people who work in his companies, he does not make a lot of decisions. Everything is relegated to people below him. Um uh and I mean, as you saw, it was the the, the head lawyer at Twitter who brought this up, right. you know, like, should we, should we ban Trump? It wasn't Jack calling in from his private island being like, eh, this doesn't look so great. Uh, and so I think that he loves, he loves the job uh, th- because of what it makes him appear to look like, but I don't necessarily love, think he loves the day-to-day.
1: You know, they're not the same person, but the kind of person you're describing kind of also sounds like Donald Trump. And I, I think we should leave it there. Unless you want to. I think that
2: person also sounds like an influencer. there you go. Uh,
1: Fake famous HBO, (laughs) Nick Bilton. You're great, great to see you. Hope to see you in person soon. Thank you so much for having me on, appreciate it. Thanks again to Nick, that was fun. Thanks also to our sponsors who let us bring you this show for free. Zero dollars, thank you sponsors, you're great. Thanks again to Joel and Jelani who are also great. This is the second show we put out this week that means more content for you for free. But it's more work for Jill and Jelani. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, and thanks to all of you for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll be back soon.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.